Hello and welcome to APQC's Knowledge Management and Human Capital Management podcast for March 2016. My name is Alyssa Tucker and I am APQC's Research Program Manager for Human Capital Management and I'm pleased to be joined by Lauren Treese who is APQC's Research Program Manager for Knowledge Management. Hi Alyssa, happy to be here. Yes, hi Lauren. On this podcast, Lauren and I are going to address some questions we've gotten about the research project we're just finishing up, which looks at best practices for workplace mentoring. So we've picked some big picture questions that were submitted by our members, as well as some where we had particular insights from the research or that we thought would interest a lot of people. So with that, we're going to jump right in. And Lauren, I'm going to ask you the first um, question, which is, what are some key attributes of a successful mentoring program? So this is an interesting question. And obviously, it's a bit of a loaded question since we looked at a lot of different programs with a lot of different layouts and different goals. But if I had to pick a few relatively universal attributes to successful programs, I would start with you know, designing a program that, that gives employees, both mentors and mentees, some say in the mentoring process. I think for the most part where we saw mentoring that was really successful and sustainable, the people that were engaged in the mentoring program had some agency and they felt some ownership, whether that involved getting to pick the people that they were paired with for mentorship or getting to decide on the specific learning objectives, deciding how they were going to achieve those objectives, they had some control over the process and felt some ownership in it. Um, other common enablers, I think, include um, having a mentoring action plan where the mentor and the mentee outline expectations for the mentorship, what they're going to achieve together, and that really focuses the mentorship. And then also providing some behavior-based training to teach the mentors and mentees not just about the nuts and bolts of mentoring, but also how to interact with one another, ways to get over tricky situations that might come up, and just all the little things you have to do to build a trusting, productive mentoring relationship. Well, Lauren, our next question is really the flip side of the first one, and it's what should you avoid when designing a mentoring program? So one thing that I really try to avoid is an overly rigid program, one where you have lots of unbendable rules in terms of what mentors have to teach mentees and exactly how they have to interact and that require a lot of required documentation for activities. I think even in the more structured, more formal programs that we looked at, I got the sense that they really emphasized the relationship building over following a really strict set of rules and documentation. And the other thing that I would try to avoid is trying to be all things to all people. There are a lot of different reasons to support mentoring in your organization. And if you try to make the same mentoring program handle mentoring for technical competencies and career mentoring and soft skills development and network building, I think that's where you run into problems because there's just not enough focus and direction in terms of what mentees and mentee, mentors are supposed to be doing with one another. Lauren, the third question we got was, why do you believe mentoring works better than formal classroom or group discussions? 
So that's interesting. I think the short answer is that it doesn't necessarily. It depends. Um, but there are some things that are hard to teach in a classroom setting or through discussion alone. And in situations where you really need to work side by side with an expert or an experienced person and observe and learn from them, that's where mentoring is a great option. And we also saw several programs where mentoring is paired with classroom training. So mentees have that traditional learning environment, and then they have the mentor to help them problem solve and figure out how to apply on the job what they're learning in the classroom. And from a, from a knowledge management perspective, I think that's where mentoring can be really effective, is where the key is applying that knowledge in context, which is often a knowledge gap for less experienced employees. Even if they've had all that classroom training and all the group discussion, it's really figuring out how to use it, the, the knowledge in their day-to-day -day work. Great. Now, what area of an organization usually administers the mentoring program, promotes it, keeps it updated and effective? Is it HR? Is it KM? Uh, is it another area of the organization? What did you find? So I think like all of the answers to these questions, it depends. And I don't think we got any clear data about what's the best place to administer the mentoring program. But it really depends on the purpose that you set out with. In the research, we tended to see mentoring programs that are focused on technical or job-specific knowledge transfer sponsored by KM or maybe an organizational learning group, whereas other types of mentoring, the career mentoring, the soft skills mentoring, tended to be sponsored by HR. And then we also saw some more local programs that were really sponsored directly at the function or business group level to address really specific needs within those groups. The one thing that I would say is if you do have a program that is administered by HR, you probably want to find someone on the business side to help you sponsor and promote it so that it doesn't feel like something that corporate HR is superimposing on the business group. That's great guidance. Well, our next question, Lauren, is one that we, we've heard before, and it's are there specific differences between being a mentor versus being a coach? Well, and that's a really interesting issue. As you say, it came up several times in the research. And as our HR uh, expert, I was going to pass that one back to you, Alyssa. Sure, I can address that. Um, well, you know, as, you, as we both have mentioned, we, we gotten this question before and what we found is that the terms mentoring and coaching are often used interchangeably and that this creates um, a lot of confusion. Um, so what we like to think of um, when we talk about the term mentoring, we like to think of it as being a longer term relationship that can help an individual with a wide range of broad developmental objectives. And when we turn and look at coaching, we like to think of that as something that can take place as part of a mentoring relationship. So we think of coaching as involving the teaching of a more specific or defined capability during a shorter time frame. So with these definitions, uh, you have where over the course of a mentorship, a mentor may actually coach the mentee through developing a number of different specific skills or capabilities at different points in time. So that, that's our, our take on mentoring versus coaching. Anything else to add or should I move on to the next question, Lauren? Let's move on. I think that's a great summary. I like 
I think people can get caught up in the terminology sometimes, and the important thing is to figure out what you're trying to achieve and not, not get too caught up in what's a mentor and what's a coach and the sort of details of the semantics. That's right. Okay, so our next question is, do you have any recommendations for how to integrate mentoring programs into knowledge management programs? So I think there are several options for this. But if you're looking at mentoring specifically as a way to prevent organizational knowledge loss, for example, when people retire or if you have a high turnover organization, then you have to treat mentoring as one tool in your knowledge transfer toolkit. So if you know someone is reaching retirement age and they're going to leave in six months or a year and they have knowledge you really want to capture and retain before they walk out the door, then you might look at a bunch of different knowledge transfer techniques. Uh, structured interviews, having that person teach a class, write an instruction manual, or work on a series of wiki articles. And in that context, mentoring is just one of the tools that you can choose from to enable knowledge transfer based on the type of knowledge you're trying to pass on, who needs to learn it, and so on. So if you have a very specific person who's going to take over for that person, you know exactly who they are, it's knowledge that is best transferred in a face-to-face -face mentoring type of situation, then that may be the option that you want to go for. Um, you know, and, and it's a little different than other mentoring efforts where you tend to focus on what mentees need to learn versus on men, what mentors need to share when you're looking at it from that, that KM perspective. Great. Well, our next question is an interesting one because it gets at the, at the different generations that are in the workforce today. Uh, the question is, which soft skills do mentors need to develop to guarantee um, the best mentoring process when they're interacting with younger employees? Well, and Alyssa, I think you and I both probably can address this. I think that when you have a mentor who is maybe a baby boomer, you know, a little bit older, and they're working with a millennial. The, the most important thing is to be able to listen to one another and have that ability to provide objective advice, not to come with so much of your own baggage. So I think in the research, what we saw in the training for mentors and mentees really focused on having the right attitude and even the selection process themselves, coming to it with that desire to learn, that desire to share, um, you know, and then teaching them, well, this is how you can start a conversation with your mentor or your mentee. Here's what to do if your mentor brings you this particular type of situation, how to be objective, how to maintain trust in that relationship. Um, you know, how to collaborate with that person and have it feel like some kind of equal partnership rather than I'm going to sit you down in a chair and tell you exactly what you should do and you're going to sit there and listen and take notes. So, so I think it's really about have, building that partnership and all the communication and collaboration skills that are associated with that. 
Yes, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned a number of, of words that jumped to my mind when I saw this question, which, which was, you know, the importance of listening, the importance of building trust, um, being willing to delegate, um, you know, some decisions and, and work. Um, the other term was collaboration and teamwork, really important. Um, when we've done our research into both what leadership skills are needed um, today and in the future, as well as research into the millennial workforce, these are all things that are very important um, to millennials and very important to successful leadership. So listening, trust, collaboration, uh, knowledge sharing, all, all very important soft skills um, for mentors uh, to have. So with that, I, th I think we'll move on to our next question, which is how do you build mentoring into the organizational culture when you're short-staffed and you have been short-staffed for a long time? And this is an interesting one, and when we were going through the questions that were submitted, we received a lot along this line. You know, how do you get overworked people to participate, and how do you get managers of overworked people to support that time investment away from your day-to-day -day work? And it's hard, especially when you're short-staffed and everyone's trying to meet their day-to-day -day obligations. I think what we've heard from the mentoring program managers who talked about this in their interviews is that it's an uphill battle and it requires a big change management and communication effort constantly. One program manager said that the message that she takes to these overworked experts is, well, well once you mentor someone and train them to do what you do, then that's going to take some of that burden off of you and help with the very problem that you're using as an excuse or a reason not to mentor, that you're too busy. Because unless you take the time to share knowledge and to build those skills in your less experienced coworkers, you're always going to be stuck in that same cycle where you can't delegate those tasks and you are, you know, overextended. That's right. And I might add, too, um, that it's helpful if you can make sure that you're monitoring and reinforcing the mentoring behaviors that you hope to see in your organization. And this can be as simple as making it a point to publicly recognize your organization's top mentors. And, you know, Lauren, we saw in some of the companies that we, we talked to um, where they had something like an annual program where mentees could submit mentors for recognition and the top mentors in the organization that year would be recognized at a banquet. Um, you can also do something more formal where the organization makes participation in mentoring either as a mentor or a mentee a requirement for different levels uh, of career advancement. So there are things that you can do to, to encourage um, the mentoring behaviors that you want to, to see in your organization. Employees always have a choice about how to spend their time up to a certain extent. They have a lot of tasks that they're responsible for, but if you show them that this is something that's valued and is a core part of their job expectations, then they're going to get on board eventually. Exactly. And we, I think we definitely saw some of the companies that we spoke with you know, doing that and carrying that out and, and having it work for them. Um, so we have one final question that I wanted us to address today, um, and it's kind of a big one, but what are the success measures in mentoring? So I feel like I keep saying this, but it depends on context. I think when you're focused on that discipline knowledge transfer, the success measures tend to really focus on the skills and competencies that mentees are inquiring. So if employees 
are learning specific things that they need to either do their current jobs or to move into higher level jobs, then you measure that by the competencies and by the, the employee's ability to move up into those roles. Um, one organization that we talked to looks at the percentage of jobs filled through internal promotions versus outside hiring as an indication that their job-specific mentoring is working and helping to prepare employees to move up. And there's a lot of different measures that you can look at, um, but, but that's one example. You can also directly measure the, com the competencies and here's where, you know, you were three out of ten on this particular competency at the beginning of the mentorship and then six out of ten now. Um, so, so there's a lot of different ways to look at it. If you're focusing mentoring um, on career development and soft skills training or looking at it as an engagement tactic, then you might shift your focus to employee turnover data, satisfaction data, um, you might want to specifically measure via surveys how people feel about mentoring and how they feel about their jobs and their roles in the organization before and after mentoring. Um, you know, but for a lot of the organizations that we talk to, the hard measures aren't the biggest focus for them. They're looking at it holistically at the relationships that employees are building and how they feel about the investment that the organization and their colleagues are making in them. And, and having that is really enough for them without being able to point to this number went from X to Y and that's why we mentor. Well, that's all we have time for today. I hope we've answered some of your questions about workplace mentoring. If you'd like to learn more, we encourage you to visit the APQC website at apqc.org and type workplace mentoring into the search box. There you can find information about the research findings uh, and detailed case studies of all the organizations we spoke with as part of this project, as well as all our other research in the knowledge management and human capital management areas. Thanks for listening.